Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market, and cap off with a discussion on some regulatory updates. This 20-minute or so roundup is a curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is for the month of March in 2021, and let's start off with a bit of a look at what's caught our eye over the month. And this podcast will be hosted by myself um, and Cheryl as, uh, as usual, so let's dive straight in. So I might just start and, uh, and kick off the latest market stats. Um, in our next podcast, we'll do a deeper dive into that because by all accounts, by the time we've, we haven't actually had time to record the podcast for, uh, for some time because we've been so busy keeping up with the record market development. So I think first quarter, the brief story is amazing developments, great momentum. We'll cover that uh, in more detail in the next podcast so we won't do a, a spoiler alert just yet, but that was the first thing that jumped out to me was some of the pending stats that are going to come out and have subsequently come out before we've uh, had a chance to record the uh, podcast. So Cheryl, what about yourself? What's jumped out to you apart from the um, interesting stats and market developments? That's right, Nick. The year is flying by very quickly, as you mentioned. We're actually now in May as we record this episode. And for many of us, we're almost coming up to 1.5 years since COVID-19. But I would say one of the silver linings in COVID-19 was the deliberate pause that made for everyone to reconsider and reevaluate how things are done. So this article that we saw on Green Business about why ESG bandwagons should embrace adaptation is an excellent piece Although it, it paints a little bit more of a bleak picture about, you know, how we need to embrace adaptation, but there were some of these really good points that I took away from the article being, you know, that climate scientists and analysts are predicting the following uh, things about like a managed retreat, the abandonment of major portions of coastlines on low-lying areas, the potentially severe impacts on water availability, agriculture production, human health productivity, um, as well as the vast number of climate refugees. That's an interesting concept, climate refugees, including in advanced economies as well and failed nation states. So, you know, with what you've been reading lately in the news about in what's happening in India, the Israel-Palestine conflict, what's happening in Myanmar, you know, some of the this future that the climate scientists have, are painting, I don't seem too far away. So, yeah, some of the silver lining is that from COVID-19 is this deliberate pause that has made everyone reconsider and reevaluate the way things are being done. Uh, but, you know, apart from that, it, the CBI has been quite busy as usual. In the month of March, we saw a number of new reports and criteria being released with hydropower uh, being the latest kit on the block. So hydropower was the only major renewable energy source that was not previously covered under the climate bond standards. Uh, and the certification under this now includes best practice guides for investors around the environmental features of potential hydro investments. So the criteria encompasses climate mitigation, adaptation and resilient components, and they also make a distinguish between existing assets seeking refinancing and new assets seeking initial investments. So do check out the actual report. They tend to have a little bit of a brochure, which is a short form summary of it. But, you know, for our listeners quickly, there is this criteria about, you know, the emissions intensity needs to be below 100 grams CO2 equivalents per kilowatt hour for existing assets. 
And for new assets, the power intensity must have you know emissions intensity below 50 grams CO2 equivalent per kilowatt hour. So a lot more aggressive emission criteria for new assets there. Uh, what else have you seen, Nick? Yeah, sure. So I guess carrying on from that, our friends at the Climate Bonds Initiative, they've been extra busy this month with a few other reports and things that have come out. Um, Japan, Green Finance State of the Market 2020, that's an interesting um, an interesting read. So check that out. Japan's a, a very big market when it comes to sustainable finance and some intricacies and differences in that market. So do uh, check it out. Um, CPI also released a report on infrastructure, mainly opportunities in Malaysia. And subsequently um, to that, we've seen the Malaysian government come out um, with a sovereign bond that we were fortunate enough to, to work on. So Japan, uh, Malaysia, check out those reports. And as always, CPI also come out with a six-monthly report or semi-annual report about uh, greenium or pricing dynamics around green bonds. Um, and check those out. There's some really interesting stats about Germany's recent twin bonds and what they've seen um, and experienced on their on their pricing. And, and since March and recording this podcast, they've actually gone to market again with even clearer outperformance. So check out those things. CBI also published a list of stock exchanges that have launched a dedicated green bond or sustainable bond um, section on their exchange uh, over the month. So I think there's about 22 stock exchanges globally from Oslo, London, Luxembourg, we all know, Japan, um, Swiss, and, and a whole bunch. So it's really good to see more and more exchanges having dedicated segments where we are in the world, uh, also Singapore as well. So hopefully that's just an enabling factor, but an interesting one. So check that out. Sometimes some of those markets have um, additional requirements such as Luxembourg around reporting and things like that. So often some of these initiatives by the stock exchange give further integrity to the market, and it's useful just to bear that in mind uh, for issuers and for banks if they're keen to issue in some particular markets, just to have a bit of a poke around if they have any additional sort of requirements, particularly reporting and things like that. So moving along, so I think the IFRS has been busy too, Cheryl, the ongoing debate about reporting and disclosure and the right balance and the ongoing what do we call it? Alphabet soup of acronyms for reporting. There's been a bit of action or some, some more news on that over the month. That's right, Nick. Continuing on from last month, there is the louder chorus and call for global sustainability standards. So the Environmental Finance published a piece on March 9 titled IFRS Foundation sets out strategic direction for global sustainability standards. And they propose a sustainability standards board, which would sit alongside the International Accounting Standards Board. The board will build upon the well-established work of the task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, otherwise known as TCFD, as well as the group of other standard setters in the sustainability reporting focused on enterprise values. You know, this you, you might have heard for us mention this in the previous podcast, the CDP, the Climate Disclosure Standards Board, the Global Reporting Initiative, as well as the International Integrated Reporting Council and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, uh, SASB. In December, they published a prototype on climate-related financial disclosure standards. So it brings together the aspects of the existing work by the organizations around the four pillars of disclosure recommended by the TCFD. So the insight here is that, you know, we see a lot of industry bodies rallying around an integrated sustainability into reporting as well as accounting, but hopefully it will ultimately emerge as one coherent standard rather than various standards. But we have our eye on, you know, this uh, integrated reporting coming much more into the, the forefront. Uh, what else have you seen on environmental finance, Nick? 
Yeah, so, I mean, environmental, just a quick plug to our friends in environmental finance, a fantastic publication, weekly updates, daily updates on all on all sorts of things, and some really interesting um, seminars online that they have in a program of those. So check those out and uh, and subscribe if you're, uh, if you're that way inclined, but lots of great information on there. Really just a couple of points. We've started to talk about biodiversity or natural capital and the importance of maintaining that, conserving that, and the importance that it actually has for broader GDP. You know, there's reports that have come out that would suggest about 50% of the world's GDP in one way or another connects back to a lot of these natural capital, um, and particularly things for medicinal purposes and, and medicines and things like that. There's lots of things that happen in the natural world that we don't want to get rid of because we, we really need um, really need these things. But being able to ascribe a value to that being able to get disclosures around that. There's a real push for it. So I think it'll end up being similar to CCFD. There's a variety of initiatives. There's a variety of tools to to measure that. So the conference, whilst I haven't looked at all the materials, just really reiterated the importance of that and, and looked at different um, looked at different aspects. And, and maybe going forward, we'll have companies saying they're net environmental positive or net biodiversity positive or, or something um, something like that. Um, so I think that's a great development, and we see it in the green bond space, biodiversity, conservation becoming a much more supported area. And we know that, similar to your point before, Cheryl, around IFRS and the other initiatives, disclosure reporting gives really good insights into companies and, and really are a key enabler to sustainable finance because we want to make sure that sustainable finance is not just done out of context, it's in context for a company uh, focusing on the right issues and addressing the right things. So that's something that jumped out. We also saw, I guess, recently uh, Joe Biden come out and with a target of reducing emissions in the US by 50% versus 2005. I guess that's a great initiative. And some of the points you were talking about before, Cheryl, about you know these persistent issues of, of greenwashing and scrutiny on the market. I think scrutiny is great. It's going to come uh, and it's a healthy thing as long as it's done in a nuanced way and not just sweeping accusations. It needs to be focused any any. Um, scrutinization of transactions or, or the market. And particularly that, I noticed that the SEC are really ramping up their efforts in the US. So because that's the biggest market in the world for, for capital, obviously that's going to have ramifications for, for elsewhere, which is a really positive development. So moving along, SLBs, Cheryl, or sustainability-linked bonds, continue to be, I wouldn't say flavor of the month anymore. Maybe we should say flavor of the year or quarter or one of the strongest trends we see. And we continue to work with a number of issuers and across a variety of industries and would be more than happy to speak to banks uh, and potential issuers about how to structure and work on and what sort of opinions we can provide for sustainability-linked bonds. But what's um, jumped out in relation to that, um, Cheryl, I think ICMA's come out with a few new bits and pieces or some updated sessions about that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we continue to get a lot of inbound inquiries from the desk asking us about SLBs. So, you know, for the bankers listening, ICMA came out with a FAQ document on SLBs and they also have a recording on that. Yeah, so do check that out. And also we'd like to plug that Sustainalytics that we have our own SLB assessment methodology available online for us. And this is an initiative, you know, championed by us to promote more transparency in the market, to share with issuers, to share with investors how we assess the materiality of KPIs, as well as how the ambitiousness of the sustainability performance targets, the SPTs. There is also a video that walks you through our methodology. So do check that out if you're looking for a little bit of ideas how to structure you know, these SLBs with your clients. Absolutely. Any other interesting SLBs that you see in the market, Nick? 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later in the podcast, Cheryl, but just an interesting one, I guess, connected to SLBs or the, the linked plus the labelled as such. Just one thing I wanted to, to comment on, and we will talk about this um, in future podcasts as this becomes more pronounced in the market, was a couple of deals. Uh, one by Takamatsu, I hope I'm saying that right, construction in Japan that did a linked green bond, so use of proceeds, and a link to the uh, to the coupon um, around that. We also saw in the same week Verbund, um, a European-based issuer, do a, um, do a similar thing. So I think they're just indicative of, I'd call it this new trend of, of combining the best of both worlds. We still see a spectrum of preference by either investors and or issuers or, or both. Some prefer the flexibility of the link structures. Some prefer the transparency potentially more deeper in relation to use of proceeds structures. So combining them both, I think it's a really sensible idea. And actually, one thing that you can grade me on at the end of the year, Cheryl, is the predictions we had earlier this year was one thing that we thought was going to happen. was just a matter of time of these combos, if you like, coming out to appeal to a greater audience. And then in some ways, that drives greater um, diversity across the market as well. So um, watch this space for uh, for sure. And then really just the, the final thing that sort of jumped out to me is an interesting report by Fitch around insurance um, is uh, future green um, or really green elements of insurance. Uh, we've seen a lot of insurance companies come to market in terms of then having their investment portfolios labelled as green. We've seen Generali come out with an insurance-linked um, security. So hopefully we see more innovation. Insurance is a really important enabler and some further enabling of transition and risk coverage for companies. I think, you know, like disclosure is just an important pillar and plank as we move through the transition to low carbon, uh, low carbon world uh, and economies. And that's a pretty interesting read. So do, um, uh, do check that out. So all in all, as we say it every month, another smorgasbord of, uh, of news topics. It's becoming harder to, to keep, um, keep on track of all of those things. But we do hope that this curated summary um, is really useful for our uh, for our listeners. So um, yeah, I think that's all the hot news, Cheryl. Thanks, Nick. Uh, can you now give us a little bit of a flavor uh, of the types of bond issuances that came to market in March, and maybe highlight a few notable green bonds for us? Yeah, absolutely. And as we've said before in, in recent podcasts, it's becoming harder and harder to do this. So we're sort of dipping into a few different approaches to give a briefer summary because there's just so much that's actually happening with a little bit of focus on a couple of transactions. So I'll just sort of step um, step through that. We've seen ongoing sovereign activity, Italy, Kenya, possibly Iceland, Russia, France has tapped again. And then, um, as I mentioned, Malaysia after, um, after March. Um, UK, ongoing talk, um, appealing to the retail um, sector investors again. So sovereigns are really important because they catalyze the market. We've said that plenty of times on the podcast, but ongoing um, activity that we've seen, uh, that we've seen there, and even even Hong Kong uh, dipping in and doing some more tranches in addition to what they've done over the last couple of years. Property, no surprise, ongoing transactions there. I won't get too much into that, but I think the key message for our listeners is property companies is not just about green buildings. That's one aspect. It's also you can have different projects, whether it's items to do with bike infrastructure, whether it's renewables, whether it's waste, whether it's water. Um, you may not need to upgrade a total building to be in line with a, a green building standard of significant 
um, standing, but plenty of other different types of projects and landscapes and community centres and just different types of things which are creeping into those property frameworks and things. So do keep an eye out for uh, for those. Um, the auto sector, we've seen Toyota and others go to market again. Nothing incredibly new about that, but just a, a good um, a good trend. We'll also see going forward, I like this one, Cheryl, that was for, I always get the tricky ones here, Ardga. A-R-D-A-G-H. I don't know how to say that, so apologies if I've said that wrong to our uh, to our listeners. Metal packaging, um, metal recycling. So I think um, there's going to be more in that recycling space and certainly more innovations around packaging. So do check that out. Even some industries that may seem a bit more transition in scope, if you're just doing the recycling part, that can often be labelled as green. So it's a little bit case by case. MasterCard uh, went to market, which seems like a, a long time ago. We've also seen some other card companies come to market. We've had the, the pleasure of working on, on those in addition to what Visa did last year. So there's, there's a real trend with, with card companies coming with a variety of use of proceeds around renewables and other types of, uh, of things. A little bit of action um, connected to airports and aviations. We saw a really interesting one for Nesty, which are one of the biggest suppliers and producers of what you call sustainable aviation fuel globally. So they came uh, with a green bond. I guess sometimes debatable is that transition, is that green? But look, there's no doubt we need sustainable aviation, so more than debate point or delineation on that. Uh, I think that's great to see these companies tapping the markets, getting the support because we need more of what they uh, what they produce. Banks, again, continue to be a mainstay of the market for their own funding and do check those out. They're often the most expansive frameworks covering both green and social. Um, of one to note, pretty interesting one in, um, in Asia was UOB, and we did work on that in addition to having worked on DBS and U, OCBC in, uh, in Singapore before. So some pretty interesting use of proceeds um, to check out um, in that one and quite expansive. So I won't comment too much more on, on the banks, but there continues to be a whole bunch of banks going to market, KCB, uh, Wuri Bank, Banco Brass, and the list the list goes on. But they all share that commonality. Most of the time, they're sustainability. Most of the time, they're green and social. And most of the time, they have some pretty expansive use of proceeds. So that's always a good tip to, to check those zones um, out. In a little bit more detail would be the e Dot .on or eon let's just call that bond that went to market that was interesting because it was also aligned to the eu taxonomy uh, that's also a service that sustainalytics has as let's just call it an add-on to a normal spo or second party opinion which generally aligns to green loan green bond social bond sustainability bond guidelines principles um, and this one was great to see more companies taking a more expansive approach to say, right, we want to align to a, to another, in some cases, stricter, more prescriptive set of principles, in this case, the EU taxonomy. So um, check that out. Um, Sustainalytics also has an opinion out in the market for the Grand Duchery of um, Luxembourg. So you can see our approach to doing that. But let's see some more of those. And as the Green Bond Standard comes out in the EU, maybe second half this year, I think we're going to obviously has to if you want to get a sign off to that connect to the EU taxonomy. Um, and that's pretty extensive and will really drive some further development of the market. So that's good to um, see. So look, they're probably the main ones, you know, power companies. Uh, we saw some property companies um, go to market, you know, Lendlease um, again and some of the other property names um, I've mentioned before and also private equity. So that's an interesting one that we see private equity in this case. GIMV, G-I-M-V, I'm definitely getting all the tricky pronunciations today, 
which is Antwerp-based um, portfolio of around 50 companies going to market for some of their investments. So nice to see that that adds some greater diversity to the market as well. And maybe private equity, we're going to start to see raise specific pools of, of capital dedicated to the green or, or social space. So a bit of a mixture of, of things there. And green loans. Um, I guess there was a, a few bits and pieces done over the month, Cheryl. Similar, similar themes or, or slightly different for the loan space? Yeah, so just moving on to green loans now, just to highlight two for March. Uh, UIC, it's a, it's a property name in Singapore. They secured their first green and sustainability linked loans totaling Singapore's 300 million, SGD 300 million. About 100 million is for the green loan. And the other 200 million is for the sustainability linked loan. Uh, and they go towards, you know, uh, funding major upgrades, building upgrades. Uh, this is interesting because you see the, the rapid mainstreaming of sustainable finance in the real estate space where, you know, issuers in the past, they would start off with a green and then maybe progress to a sustainability linked loan. But uh, right now they're doing both green and sustainability linked loans at the same time. Another interesting transaction is from India, Adani, Adani Green Energy, A-G-E-L. They raised USD 1.35 billion debt under their construction for renewable energy projects via an agreement with 12 international lenders. So this uh, revolving project finance facility would finance up to 1.69 gigawatts hybrid portfolio of solar and wind renewable projects uh, to be set up you know, in four SPVs in Rajasthan. So AGL is part of India-based Adani Group, which is one, and they have one of the largest global renewable energy portfolios globally. And this is interesting because you see the push for renewables also happening in Asia. And we have, you know, in the last couple of months, we've mentioned notable deals in India, Vietnam, Malaysia, as well as Singapore. Moving on to social bonds now, um, because while we're at the topic of use of proceeds instruments, in March, there continued to be this trend of banks issuing bonds dedicated solely to social projects with the focus of providing you know, affordable housing. So just three to mention here, Credit Mutual Arkea, Truist Financial, as well as NetWest. Uh, so you would see following on the bank wagon you know, from last year where Citibank issued you know, a dedicated 1 billion social bond. You're seeing a lot of other banks as well as regional banks uh, issuing benchmark size bonds just dedicated to social projects uh, with a lot of these use of proceeds going towards affordable housing, access to essential services, um, as well as you know SME, uh, social economic advancement and empowerment initiatives. Uh, maybe let's move on now to the next section of sustainability-linked bonds. Nick, you have the honors to take us through some of the notable ones. Thank you. And we always say on this one, Cheryl, the, the new segment, but it's not really a new segment anymore. And as, as we say, it's just becoming more and more part of of what we see in the growth in the market, mixed with a dash of green, a bit like a cocktail sometimes, a bit with a dash of transition. But just on the sustainability linked bond side, um, a couple of things, more, more articles and just briefly on some transactions. Um, Global Capital had an interesting article saying that investors might be more open to some step downs. That'd be a game changer. So watch this space as we see more diversity of how issuers want to pay investors the when there's a penalty. A donation to charity, purchase of some offsets, so maybe going down. That's a really um, interesting dynamic. Let's uh, let's see. Um, we signed off on a couple of bonds over the month. Ahold, um, Delhaize, a supermarket. Uh, we've also recently worked with Tesco um, in relation to Ahold, Delhaize. It was around GHGs and, and also waste. Um, so do check that out. Uh, we noticed some more shipping coming to market. So as as we see, one of the call it harder to abate sectors that's very active in a number of the different sustainable finance instruments definitely uh, shipping remains there and there was a there was an interesting deal for uh, hapag lloyd so check that one out using aer 
average energy um, energy ratios and emissions versus uh, IMO um, target and trajectory curve. Another one was uh, public power, which we did. I think this one was in Greece, in uh, in Europe, um, that we signed off on a utility really focusing on GHG. So again, GHGs, if you look at some of the data, probably 70%, I think Nordia did a recent report, around 70% of the KPIs that are used um, and then targets um, set accordingly, really focus on environment, then maybe uh, 20% social and maybe 10% um, governance. So bear, uh, bear that in mind just in terms of what you might see in the, um, in the market. Um, Jatfar, um, an agri-company in Indonesia, also went to market looking at water recycling, more gauge from what we can tell on units rather than the direct throughput. So at Sustainalytics, we always talk to issues about, you know, is something an input metric rather than an output metric, what you could measure you know, more specifically rather than something that's like an expense or something. You rather measure the, the output in terms of litres or tonnes or emissions per, um, per tonne of, of product or something like that. But look, great to see, you know, Indonesian companies coming to market again and agri I'm a big agri fan. Agri is definitely underrepresented across all of these different products. So good to see some agri uh, coming to market. So sustainability link loans. Um, Cheryl, anything anything jump out amongst everything we've talked today? Um, I'm surprised there's room uh, in the market for sustainability link loans, but they still seem to be coming. That's right. Like you mentioned, shipping. Uh, Hafnia. Hafnia Limited uh, signed a seven-year USD 374 million SLL with a syndicate of 10 banks. So we had the honor to work on this with ING as well as OCBC, who acted as joint sustainability coordinators. So this is noteworthy. This is this is because this is Hafnia's first syndicated sustainability-linked facility and is one of the largest of its kind in the shipping sector. Uh, moving on, Enel, this Italian energy company, which you may be very familiar with for the number of SLBs that they have come to market with, they signed a Euro 10 billion SLL revolving credit facility, taking the title for the largest such deal, which was previously held by Enhauser Bush InBev for less than a month. So Enel's five-year facility is two billion greater than uh, AB InBev's deal, which was signed in February. Uh, moving on, in Australia, there was a G8 Education, which, sec- which secured an AUD 350 million loan in SLL format. This one, they had some targets around the G8's quality of education and care, as well as the safety of the team members. So I would we would encourage some of our, our listeners to maybe check that one out a little bit, apply some critical thinking, because you know some of this you know, we would not really fly in our world because it seems very business as usual. Uh, some of these targets, but you know, always good to have some you know discourse and, and, and discussion in the market. Trifigura is a market leader in global commodities industry. They closed a 365-day Europe multi-currency syndicated revolving credit facility of USD 1.85 billion, so another mega mega big uh, financing in the sustainability link loan format. Um, they had three KPIs related to cutting operational greenhouse gas. So they are scope one and two. And they had some uh, KPI on responsible sourcing materials in line with ISO 20400 and to grow their renewable power portfolio. So, um, yep, increasing uh, what we see, I guess the overall theme is SLLs. They are getting bigger <laughs> and bigger in size. Maybe moving on to transition, Nick, uh, what, what else have you seen there in the market? Yeah, just a couple of, of things to, to mention, a couple of reports. Um, um, not too much still getting labelled directly as transition, uh, but as we know, ICMA does have their Climate Finance Handbook, which can be used to apply a transition lens to a use of proceeds or a linked instrument. I believe they're coming out with more guidance on that over time, and we've started to look at that 
uh, assessing companies' alignment to the Climate Finance Handbook as well. But just around transition, there's a pretty interesting article about the role that uh, that Saudi and, and parts of the Middle East can play in the hydrogen space, obviously green hydrogen rather than other forms of uh, hydrogen with all the expertise in oil and gas. Hopefully that can be applied to producing that on a more greener basis. Let's see, just relate in relation to, to oil and gas, we're getting many, many more questions connected to that sector, which is, which is great. Um, we're pretty strict what we're prepared to do as an organisation connected to oil and gas. And one of the difficulties is often finding it difficult to see what we call contextual benchmarks or reference points in the market. So check out oil and gas um, under science-based targets initiative. There's a, there's a draft or a public consultation, which is ongoing, and also TPI who came out fairly recently with some more data points about oil and gas. So again, reference points are really, really critical for transition to give something credibility and then compare what does good look like. As more reference points become available, that market will grow. Um, and there's a few different ways to, to obviously approach transition. The other one to mention, a great transition bond that was done um, some time back, maybe two years ago now or a year and a half at Cadent. Um, also, they came to market with a second transition bond. So they're a gas distribution company um, in the UK, do check that one out. And yeah, so they were the snippets for transition this month. And um, Cheryl, did you notice anything, the banks, um, anything innovative or ongoing, what's called a labeling of sustainability or green or otherwise products, any any product developments that are worth, uh, worth noting for our listeners? Just to highlight three, uh, because I'm conscious of time. So Virgin Money, uh, they did launch a sustainability link loan for all UK companies. So these SLLs, which will be available in late spring, will help reduce the cost of finance for some of these businesses whose core activities are proactively helping to transition to a more sustainable economy. Also in Europe, Rabobank, uh, they also uh, intend to use the template on SLLs on their corporate clients, helping them you know, take their first steps into sustainable finance and people who are looking for guidance. And these loans that are offered to the companies, they already have you know, existing sustainability ambitions and targets around food waste. Um, so yeah, it's so interesting to see a lot more banks rolling out SLL programs. Standard Charter, lastly, to round off, uh, they launched a sustainable trade finance proposition and they also included having you know, the sustainability link loan principles in this framework. The initial focus of this program will be on supply chain finance, invoice financing, receivables financing, bonds and guarantees, letters of credit, but this is expected to expand it in due course. So Nick himself has a big interest in, in supply chain, uh, so we'll be very happy to, to speak to some of the banks about you know, if they're thinking of doing similar sustainable trade finance propositions. Uh, but maybe now I think it might be a good time to segue to this month's listener questions about supply chain and how we can make supply chains uh, sustainable. Any thoughts, Nick? Yeah, actually, um, we won't get too much into an answer today, Cheryl, but just as an FYI for our listeners, uh, we have a dedicated podcast coming up um, for sustainable supply chain. We're launching or formally launching some new products in coming weeks. So check that out. And as Cheryl mentioned, more than happy to come out and talk to the banks about trade finance and about sustainable supply chain. So I won't I won't spoil that with an answer now, uh, Cheryl. But check out the podcast, which will hopefully come out around uh, mid May. Sometime. That's right. And the second question we have here for you, Nick, is on the greenness of derivatives and FX instruments. Right. I'm glad um, I get all the tricky ones uh, that come uh, that come through. We do get some tricky questions from our listeners, which is which is great. So I'd say, as far as derivatives and FX go, you know, very briefly, it's something that we would sort of label green as such. However, there's something that we're looking at. And I think we'll all see in the market is more what we call linked transactions, using an, 
an ESG risk rating, maybe using some, some KPIs or different things connected to those trades. So it's a bit of a watch this space. Uh, we'll cover derivatives in more detail in, in future podcasts as we see more developments in the market. But just a, a tip for anyone that is interested in those areas, ISDA actually, I'm sure I can't remember the, the long form name of, um, of ISDA, but they have come out with a, a paper on sustainable finance connected to derivatives. So, um, so maybe check that out. And it's a, a definitely a topic that we'll delve into a bit more once there's been some further developments in the market. But again, an example of a financial product that exists, maybe not green, but maybe it can have some linking aspects to it to drive um, innovation across uh, across the market. So that would be um, that uh, that one. So I guess, yeah, that's the questions for this month, Cheryl. And um, I think you have a, a fun fact to take us out to complete the uh, the podcast, Cheryl, if I recall correctly. Yes, thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, we wanted to, to reward our listeners for staying through the whole podcast by sharing with you a little bit of a fun fact on climate change. So this month's fun fact is about why we need to protect bees. So bees are responsible for pollinating 35% of agricultural production and almost 90% of different commercially grown food crops in the U.S. alone. So, you know, the bee populations continue to, de- to decline. The production of fruit crops will also decrease as well. So bee pollination is necessary for its several important corps. Um, also, just to give you a little bit about, you know, some numbers about economic contribution, the global crop production pollinated by bees is valued at $577 billion. These buzzing pollinators, they contribute to about $24 billion to the U.S. agriculture industry sector, making about a third of food that's consumed by Americans. So bees are keystone species. So this means that if bees dies off, it will end most life. So think twice before you swat that hardworking BOA. Um, and May 20 is World Bee Day. So, so you know, if you see a little bee, uh, maybe you could thank them for their little hard work. But thanks, folks. That's about all the time we have for this episode. Uh, any links to the articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way at podcast at morningstar.com. Uh, special thanks to Melissa Chase, who produced this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.